Hello people, it's your boy Caesar here and this is a Hybrid Club one shot. Hope all is good. You know where to find us on the socials at the Hybrid Club and you know where to find me at C-E-A-S-E-S-A-Y-S. C-E-A-S-E-S-A-Y-S. So, um, as you all know, with the passing of Queen Elizabeth II, the games in the UK have been called off for the weekend. That's all the way from the Premier League all the way through to grassroots. Um Obviously, mixed feelings on that all over the country. There are people who are um, obviously mourning. Um, so for them, it's you know a sign of respect. For others, they are highly critical of the decision. In that, you know, ultimately there are other ways to pay respects. Um, me personally, I'm one of those people who thinks the game should go ahead. Um, I think they are good opportunities um, to to pay respects if if you you know. If you're going to do that, I think um, ultimately she was very much a proponent of keep calm and carry on. Um, so I don't know why you wouldn't uh, do exactly that. Um, but, you know, it's also, I don't think anyone could be surprised by the decision, to be honest. Um, so it's, it is what it is. It means, though, that Arsenal are top of the league for the uh, foreseeable future, because I think it's probably extremely likely that um, the games will probably be called off um, next weekend as well. So while this weekend is the fixture against Everton, next weekend, if it's called off, it will be the fixture against um, Brentford. So that's where we are. Um, So it is disappointing because, you know, the grassroots game, for example, you want young kids going out there, being active, playing the game. Um, And for, you know, for professional football and uh, lower leagues, non-league, you've got fans from all over, right? You have fans travelling from all parts of the globe who would have bought tickets months ago um, to come and travel and to see their teams play. And like I said, it would be a good opportunity. I mean... Football is one of those sports that really does bring people together. You only have to go to a football game to see the different kinds of people who come together and, you know, share in those moments of joy and ecstasy or misery and all of those things that you, all of those roller coasters you go through in the 90 minutes. So, um, yeah, it would have been it would have been nice for the games to go ahead. Um, but it is what it is. Again, I don't think anyone can really be surprised. Um so with the Everton game called off, that will have uh, ramifications, both positive and negative. Um, Everton at the moment are missing key players like Dominic Calvert-Lewin, um, Pickford, Yerry Mina. Um, and while they performed well against Liverpool, for the most part, they've been in pretty bad form. So this would have been a good time to play them, you would have thought, um, particularly given they're missing some of those key players and those key players are on their way back. So... By the time we play them next, they'll probably be back and Everton will be stronger for it. Um, that being said, we do have uh, quite a few injuries in the squad at the moment, as we do know. So giving those players a bit more time to come back, um, you know, players who have played a lot of minutes, getting a bit of, a bit of uh, extra recovery time, that could potentially help us. Um, for example, you know, we've all spoken about players like... Uh, Bukayo Saka and Granit Xhaka playing minute after minute after minute, Gabriel Martinelli. Um, so could those players being able to get extra rest periods is probably a good thing. But then also, unless we get those reinforcements in the winter, you wonder what that does on the back end for those um, for our squad when those games are rescheduled with an already tightly packed fixture schedule given the Winter World Cup. So there's all sorts of potential ways this can play out. But ultimately, it is what it is. Um, you've got to deal with 
the situation as it is. And so, yeah, the, the club will have to find a way to manage people's fitness. But it will be, um, I suppose, in, in the short term, in the immediacy from an Arsenal point of view, you'll at least be able to give players like Saka and um, and Shaka and Martinelli a rest, but also allow time for some of the injured players and players who have picked up little knocks over the last few weeks to, to get some extra rest in. Um, but that does leave the question of the Europa League. So there were question marks um, about whether or not the game uh, midweek against PSV at home would go ahead. Uh, the reporting from the likes of Charles Watts and others suggests that the PSV game at this stage is likely to go ahead. Um, apparently some assurances have been given by the Met Police to, that the game will go ahead. But again, that remains to be seen. Um, as we know, things can change. And obviously with events of this magnitude, you know, plans are uh, being made as we go. And so things naturally will, will change. Um, with that in mind, of course, it means that there'll be extra rest in time for that game, um, given the lack of fi- weekend fixtures. Um, while PSV, obviously, given that um, the games are being called off in the UK, but still obviously being played elsewhere, PSV will have a game. Um, I think PSV will have a game before they play us. I could be wrong, actually. Let me check. Let me just check now. Yeah, PSV will they have a game tomorrow, um, tomorrow afternoon. So it is. Um, they'll obviously have some extra minutes in their legs, which on the one hand might mean they're sort of primed and match fit and ready to go. But I don't, you know, I think a, essentially a week's a week off isn't going to leave us too rusty. Um, and if by then we know that the Brentford game is called off, or if, for example, we have strong reason to believe it's called off, it may mean that Arteta can go for a fully full-strength starting eleven who started the well, uh, the, the season so well in a hope to kind of get those extra points off uh, on the board against PSV. Because, of course, um, if we were playing this weekend, then again, you would have expected as heavy a rotation as possible um, with winning the game, you know, in mind, of course. But if there's no game against Everton and no game against Brentford, which, you know, at least for the the, the latter, uh, the former, we know to be the case. If that's the case, then obviously Arteta can uh, play as full strength starting eleven as he wishes um, because he knows that he's going to have the next weekend off and then go back to the re- to rotation for the next Europa League game in time to start his, his uh, preferred starting eleven for the um for the uh, game against Spurs after the international break. And given that we do have an international break coming up and players like Saka are heavily involved in the England team, again, those those that bit of extra rest period may well come in handy. So um, again, we'll see what happens with the PSV fixture and we'll see what happens with the Brentford fixture. But for now, um, that's where we are. Um, speaking of the international break, um, obviously, the news broke that none of the three Gavis have been called up to the Brazil squad um, for friendlies against Ghana and Tunisia. Now, on the one hand, these you know this is an international break before Winter World Cup. You'd think the managers would be taking the players with them uh, that they plan to bring to the tournament. So, with the three Gavis missing out, I'm sure that's uh, raising eyebrows as to whether or not those players would then end up going to the World Cup. But obviously, there's a lot of time between now and then. You know, a good few months of performances for them to to work their way in. Equally, it may be that in those players, the manager knows what he has. So he's saying to himself, well, I know I'm going to bring them to the World Cup. I know what kind of players they are. I know what they have. I need to see what some other players could do um, and what my other options are. So it could be that it's a, you know, sort of a due diligence fact-finding situation because if you've got players that you're convinced about, 
um, if they were to get injured, who would be the alternatives? So maybe he's thinking to himself, let me take a look at some other players and see what the alternatives are. Um, personally, I don't know at this stage. If you do know, if you've heard anything, then sure, get in touch. Um, leave a comment on, on one of the posts and, and let us all know. But I, I suspect that, you know, I would be amazed if Gabriel Jesus wasn't in the Brazil squad. I would be very surprised if Martinelli wasn't. I think I'd be genuinely surprised if... Um, Gabriel Magalhães wasn't in the Brazil squad either. So very surprising they've all been left out of those games. Um, but we'll see how it goes. Thomas Partey um, was called up for Ghana uh, um, for game against Brazil. Um, now, obviously, given the fact he's been injured this whole time, you can look at that one of two ways. It bodes well for his fitness in that he has been called up to play for the national team or he's just got back to fitness and the national team are taking a piss. Um, depending on your allegiances, your mileage may vary on that. But um, I think while there are question marks about parties' long-term availability, which I think are valid questions, um, for Arteta and for his plans for the immediacy, our, uh, party being back to fitness is obviously something he'll be um, happy about. So we'll see what the club do, whether the club sort of issues some kind of edict telling party to stay or whether or not it's a case of go but manages minutes and you know clubs doing that thing that they do with national teams where they kind of work with them to try their best to get the players back fit. But again, given the the recent fixture call-off and potential future fixture call-off, um, it may be that the club are slightly less concerned about, about the minutes some of our players are getting um, in the international break. But again, we'll, we'll see what happens because with the season being so truncated, I'd expect clubs are even more nervous about international break, given how quickly the fixtures will pick up afterwards and how quick, thick and fast they'll come in before the World Cup. And then, of course, there's the question mark of what to do with the players who are not going to the World Cup and then how to manage the fitness of players who did go to the World Cup and kind of get them all in and around the place you want them to be in time for uh, the season to pick up after it's over. So there is a lot to do and no one really knows how it's going to go at this stage. So it will be very curious to watch if that's, if those type of things are in, you know, interest you, if you're just one of those people who loves the football and loves what's on the pitch and you don't care about any of this, which is fair enough. Um, so yeah, we'll have to see what happens there. Um, what else is going on? There was a good article, uh, Coach's Voice, um, on Artest's philosophy on coaching and it really sort of, takes you through the tactical evolution of Arteta while he's been at the club. Um, it's a really good read. I'll put uh, a link to it in the show notes. Um, one of the reasons I talk about that is because not only does it help sort of, look, a lot of us who watch the game, we know how Arteta plays really. So it's not going to tell you things you don't know per se, but it explains it really well and, and quite clear and provides a lot of clarity. Um, what I will say about it though, is it reminds you of how far the squad has come since he took over, just how many iterations it's been through, just how much squad turnover we've had. Um, and I do, you know, in fact, if we do have a game called off against Brentford, I might do that. I might do a show about that, talking about the squad turnover. Because I think we've, a lot of us have forgotten just how much work there has been to do to get this squad to the places at now, where, you know, after six games, we're sitting top of the league ahead of City, Liverpool, Chelsea, Man United. And Spurs, and look, it's six games in, and I'm a firm believer that the Premier League doesn't really take shape until October, November, at the earliest. Um, but we certainly weren't sat in this situation after six games last season, or the season before that, or the season before that, or the season before that. 
and I could go on and on and on. So ultimately, while it isn't indicative of what will happen um, this season, it's certainly indicative of an uptick in our performance um, over the seasons. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it, the the article goes into some of the different systems he's gone through. So, you know, the four-two-three-one at the beginning, um, which converted to a back three when Shaka would sort of withdraw into central defence and the, the left defensive half space um, with Tierney advancing in build-up and sort of Aubameyang on the left coming inside and attacking infield to centre forward and number 10. Um, so mixed up with Lacazette and Ozil and then sort of Pepe and later Saka remaining wide on the right to provide sort of more options and then cut in and dribble on the inside. So that sort of, you, you remember that sort of Shaka tucking in, creating sort of a almost slanted, lopsided, asymmetrical shape, um, which was difficult for opponents to deal with. And then, of course, you remember the back three, which I think all of us got sick and tired of pretty quickly, though it was very effective and, in fact, crucial to us um, picking up a trophy. Um, but that was obviously when we didn't really have the players to attack in the way he wanted. So it's a, that was very much about sitting in a deep block. Um, so, you know, you'd have the left-sided wing-back Tierney or Maitland-Niles at the time um, would push forward while the right-sided um, wing-back would stay sort of a bit more tucked in. Um, and that was at the time Hector Bellerin, which wasn't a fit for Bellerin and his style. And you remember, of course, the frustration about Bellerin and Pepe's just inability to connect and how much that just hampered our attacking threat. Um, but, you know, that sort of uh, withdrawn role for the right back meant that it was easier for us as a team to sort of switch to a back four when we needed to, um, but push up with the left side of attack um, when we needed to. But it also meant that that's where we started to see that over-reliance on the left really start to build up. Um, and it takes us through all the other iterations from that to, you know, again, the 4 2 3 one with Smith-Rowe came into the side um, and then the gradual move towards the 4 3 3 with the current squad we have now. So if you're interested to kind of get um, a reminder and a sense of that evolution of the side, that's a really good article to read. Um, I would strongly suggest you give it a read. Um, but otherwise, I think what I was uh, going to talk about was just taking stock of where we are at the moment in terms of the team, the performances, the players. Um, and part of the reason I wanted to do that is just because, well, seeing as the fixtures are off, it's probably a good time to kind of uh, have a look. So as we said, um, top of the league after six games, five games won, drawn zero, lost one. Um, goals for 14, goals against seven, so uh, goal difference plus seven. Top of table, 15. Bear in mind, Man City are second, having won one, uh, sorry, won four, drawn two, lost none. Uh, they have goals for of 20, given Haaland is just on a rampage, and goals against six, so they've got a goal difference of plus 14 on 14 points. Um, and uh, them lot down the road are third, um, also on 14 points, but uh, like us, a goal difference of seven. Um, so, oh, and Brighton in fourth who have obviously lost Graham Potter to Chelsea. So it will be interesting to see how they replace him and how they deal with that. But um, yeah, on that Chelsea point, actually, before we get into the sort of looking at season, um, I don't know how you guys feel about the Graham Potter thing to, to Chelsea. My opinion is very much that, you know, I think, and I've been making the jokes myself about, you know, whether or not he'll he'll even last a year and Chelsea's propensity for getting rid of managers. But we do have to remember this isn't the Abramovich era anymore. So we don't know what the new ownership is going to be like when it comes to dealing with managers. Are they going to chop and change as frequently as Abramovich did? 
are they going to give them more time? Are they going to, you know, take the Arteta approach with, um, with Potter? It will be interesting to see because they do have a very incoherent squad at the moment, but it wouldn't take much to turn that incoherent squad into a squad that could compete, um, particularly with the resources they have at their availability and also the value of some of the players they have. I know some of their players are sort of aging out um, and some of their players are maybe on the cusp of of, of um, doing great things, but they do have a core of players who are sort of in a good place right now. Um, so it, I, I would be curious to see how much time Potter has to really stamp his own imprint, both in terms of the way he wants to play, um, but also in terms of the type of players he'd want to bring in to see out his football, because I need to remind you that Brighton under Graham Potter, a very, very, very good team, and they take points off a lot of good teams. Um, Brighton's issue uh, under Potter for the majority of his time there was not having a goal scorer. They did everything else really, really well. They struggled to get goals. That was their their main issue for a long time. Um, so a Graham Potter team with better players who could score goals might be a problem. And he's a very good manager. And I know a lot of people are sort of thinking of, of Potter for England manager potentially. And obviously, you never know, there's still a future for that. Um, now, me personally, I'm not particularly worried because in my mind, Arsenal have an opportunity this season in that every single club almost is going through some kind of transition. Um, and the ones who aren't going through transition aren't clubs that we, at least, for where we're trying to go and what we're trying to do, should be worried about. I'll tell you what I mean. You know, Man City have lost some key players um, in this season. And they've sort of gone from there winning the league with no striker to now having a full-blown number 10. Now, their transition is just going to make them dominant even more so, I think, given Haaland's um, propensity to just absolutely destroy teams with three touches of the ball and score two, scoring two goals. Um but they are in transition, you know, they've, Fernandinho's gone, Sterling's gone, Aguero obviously went recently. Um, so they, they've they lost some key pillars. There's obviously question marks about Bernardo Silva. Um, they brought in Grealish, who, you know, is doing well, but is still adjusting, shall we say. But obviously they've still got a, a squad of amazing players and they'll probably walk the league this season, quite frankly. Um, Spurs are in transition in the sense of they've, the one thing about Spurs that used to, that used to give me some solace is that they had a squad that I used to look at. And if you removed Kane and Son, I didn't think anything of them. Genuinely remove those two players and they are done. And so my, for me, after their golden generation kind of broke up with Dembele going, Dele Alley falling off and et cetera, et cetera. You know, I was just like, yeah, Kane's on handle that, handle that sort of Kane receives the ball in the center circle, gives it off to Son for the counter-attack and Son either top corners it or gives it back to Kane for the finish. Stop stop that interaction and you you kill them dead. That's that's the reality of it. We now have a position where they, they've been able to use their Champions League position to invest in the likes of Bentancourt, Kulisevsky, Richarlison, Basuma. So now they have a squad that is far better and doesn't just require Kane and Son to be on form to win games. Now, they're still not playing great, but it annoys me greatly that they've been able to um, sort of add to their squad. And I really thought the Conte thing would implode by now because it's kind of what he does. So I'm still holding out hope that happens this season, but we'll see how it goes. Um, the point is that they are still in transition, even if it is in the sense of adding plays and rejigging their squad. Um, but they are in transition nonetheless, and it only takes one Conte blow up and 
argument with Daniel Levy and they've got a new manager and they're going to have to adjust. So there's an opportunity there. Um, you know, Brighton, who are third, uh, fourth place at the moment, they're looking for a new manager. They're, they're going to have to start their project again. The United project is obvious. I don't even have to go into that. Um, we've already spoken about Chelsea. Brentford are settled, but they're not competition. Leeds are in transition with um, Marsh trying to develop his game there. Fulham are settled, but we don't have to worry about them. Newcastle are in transition, as we know. We do have to worry about them, but that is two or three years in the future, though they are definitely gunning for a European spot this season. Um, Southampton are settled, but while they are settled, um, they are building a very, very young side over there. Ralph Hasenhutl is doing um, some good work. I mean, they're still losing games that they really shouldn't lose. Um, they, they really are... <sighs> I say they shouldn't lose. I mean, for example, I'm looking at the the game against Man United that they lost 1-0, and really they should not have lost that game. They had opportunities to win. Um, they've got a new young centre-back, um, Bela Kochap, who they got from the Bundesliga, who is who is looking very promising. Uh, genuinely looks very, very promising. Um, had a couple of opportunities in that United game to get them points. Um, so, yeah, they uh, I think they got him from VFL Bochum. Yeah, uh, in the Bundesliga. He looks promising. He's one to watch. But the point I'm making is even with Southampton um, and the situation they're in, they're both settled but also in transition in that they are building that young squad. Um, Lavia from Man City in their midfield is looking very good as well. Bournemouth, less said about them, the better. Um, Wolves, again, nothing to worry about really. Palace very much in transition with uh, Vieira. Everton, who knows about them? Villa, good luck. West Ham, mm. Forest, the definition of transition with, what, 20 signings this summer? Um, and Leicester have issues. So you get my point going through the entire league. It's either teams in transition or teams who are settled but aren't really a threat. So there really is an opportunity here for Arsenal to um, kick on with their project because Arsenal have been in transition for some time. But while we may be one or two players shy of being exactly where we want to be in terms of squad depth and quality, um, these players will continue to get better. But the core of them have actually been a little bit settled for some time. And the new players who have joined have settled in straight away. So we have an opportunity this season. I'm not saying, you know, an opportunity to win the league or anything like that. But we do have an opportunity to, to push on and kick on and, and have a potentially good season. Um and obviously, you know, there are players who are going to be central to that. Uh, Ramsdale, who, again, I've been very clear. I think when you play the kind of football we play and ask goalkeepers to do what we ask Ramsdale to do, he's going to have some shaky moments. But that being said, he's had a few too many shaky moments, I think, in recent weeks. His form hasn't been fantastic. So he'll, he'll want to pick that up, especially with the World Cup in mind. I mean, the other week, Pickford had a ridiculous ridiculously phenomenal game against uh, against Liverpool, sorry, for Everton. And when you saw him play, you thought, mm, yeah, that's England number one right there. Um, not Never really been a, a huge fan, but in that in those kind of games, when he plays like that, you see exactly why he's England's number one. Um, and Ransdale hasn't had a game like that in a while. And don't get me wrong, I'm kind of glad for that because it means that our goal hasn't been absolutely getting peppered with shots. Um but yeah, Ramsdale's got some work to do if he wants to try and have any chance of, of taking the, the number one uh, off uh, Pickford for the World Cup. We saw some of Matt Turner. Uh, doesn't fill me with great confidence. But as I said on the, the review pod, um, the FC Zero review, uh, match review, um, 
it's it was his sort of full debut coming into the league. We know he has to work on his footwork. Um, he's a definite number two. So it's one of those where we just have to hope that Ramsdale doesn't get injured and that if he does, we just need to kind of reduce the reliance on that, which is going to be difficult because so much of our good work starts with Ramsdale. So worried about Matt Turner, but not really in the sense that if Ramsdale stays fit, we shouldn't need him. And Ramsdale hasn't had that many injuries in his career, so hopefully that trend doesn't start. Um, having both uh, Zinchenko and Tierney being able to operate is great. It gives us two different things in terms of uh, Zinchenko's ability to help build up in midfield and retain uh, retain the ball and that technical security um, and those combinations with Martinelli and Chaka. But Tierney also gives us that opportunity to go on the outside, um, but also has that de- defensive security that maybe Zinchenko doesn't have as much of. Um, but we also see that Tierney is trying to learn some of that uh, central build-up. He's trying to adapt his game and not just be sort of a kick-and-run merchant that some people accuse him of being. Um, three centre-backs in Ben White, Gabriel and William Saliba have been brilliant. They've each had their moments over the, over the, the, the weeks, but they've been great. Um, I don't think you could have expected better performances from the three of them. Um, I say centre-back, of course, Ben White's been playing right-back for this season, but Again, occupying central spaces given the, you know, 3-2-5, that Arteta has been doing. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I genuinely don't know what more we could have asked for them uh, outside of not putting the ball in our own net. Um, uh, but really minor, uh, minor situations there. Um, and we're, we've obviously got the likes of Rob Holding and Tommy Asu. Holding, I know, limited when it comes to build-up play, but low block if you need him to help... Uh, you know, prevent a goal and see out a win. He can definitely do that. And Tommy Asu, you know, every time he's come on the pitch, slightly rusty from a lack of games, but genuinely just looks as good as he always has for the most part. No worries about him. If he stays fit, he's a brilliant option to have both at centre-back and at right-back. Um, and we already know about our midfield. It is blossoming. The big issue, of course, is the um, sort of deep-line midfielder. Sambi's going to have to do that job. Um, and then we obviously don't know what the long-term availability of party is going to be. Um, his availability hasn't been great at the best of times. So realistically, I think we're going to need to give Sambi some help, but that's where we see the maturity um, and experience of uh, Granite Shaka, who has been a lot making a lot more runs into the penalty area to support the attack, who in the last couple of games has been sort of dropping back a little bit to kind of help Sambi. Sambi isn't all alone in that six. Um, but those combinations between Shaka, Martinelli, Jesus, Jesus and Odegaard, Saka, Odegaard, it's it's just great to see. And now Vieira stepped into that mix as well. Um, we've seen what he can offer, though he is a little bit rusty, which is understandable because he basically hasn't had a preseason. Um, and then, of course, you know, we're talking about Marquinhos having um, a t- potential breakout moment against uh, FC Zurich, but understanding he's a project and going to need time and rightly so, but looking promising. And then Eddie and Martinelli, uh, Eddie and Jesus looking fantastic. I mean, Eddie looks great, bagged himself in a goal and assist while Marquinhos got himself a goal and assist, adjusting through inflation given the opponents, of course. Um, but he has looked, Eddie has looked great coming on in, in the league as well. And what could we say about Jesus that hasn't been said? So when you go through our squad and you see the options, there are there is reason to be positive. It is promising. Um, so for now, I guess we just got to wait and see what happens um, for the PSV game, see what kind of squad Arteta puts out. I suspect he'll go strong, particularly if the Brentford game looks like it's going to be called off. Um, 
but we do have an opportunity to do something. So given the unique situation and everything going on, um, let's see how Arteta manages it. Because if we play this right and we get a little lucky with injuries, we may just be able to turn this situation to our favour and rack up those those uh, Europa League points a bit earlier. And uh, hopefully put ourselves in the position that by the time we go to, um, by the time we're getting ready for the return game against PSV, the penultimate game of the group stage, it's really wrapped up. So let's see how it goes. Anyway, that's all for me, people. I just want to throw out a pod, uh, my thoughts on the latest goings on. Um, hope you're all doing well. Um, and yeah, you know what to do. Like, subscribe, um, you know, retweet, repost, all of that good shit. Go on, get in contact. Let us know your thoughts. Um, nothing else to say, but enjoy your weekend and we'll talk to you soon. Have a good one, people.